0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. What a year this week has been. Even though the news has piled on, we somehow made it to Friday. The busy week was filled with stories like these.
1: After a surge during the pandemic... We're halfway back to the crime levels we saw pre-pandemic. Illinois State Representative Tony McCombie has been elected the next House Republican leader.
0: Durkin refuses to take the blame for losing more Republican seats.
1: In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States.
0: It's time for our weekly news recap, and here to dive deep into the top local stories is A.D. Quigg, Cook County, and Chicago government reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back, A.D. Thank you. Also with us, Monica Ng, Chicago reporter for Axios. Hey, Monica. Hey, Sasha. And Amanda Vinicky, political correspondent for WTTW, is also here. Welcome
1: back, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday.
0: Remember that you can now watch us break down the week's news live on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. So we're going to start with state politics, folks. Illinois Republicans, they didn't fare well in last week's election, as we know. But with that behind them, they've now chosen new leadership in both the State House and Senate. So, Amanda, just introduce us to Illinois' new minority leaders?
1: First of all, to say that they didn't fare well is a, a kind way of putting things, Sasha. I mean, they I described it as a shellacking. This is Democrat dominance, as it has been, but it continues to be, which is something remarkable in and of itself, and I think really talks a lot about the demography of Illinois. Um, it, we can get into perhaps a little bit more of why that is, of course, with President Donald Trump announcing he's going to run again. Mm-hmm. The Republicans certainly blame him for part of that. But it is remarkable. Again, just considering that you have the former longtime speaker of the Illinois House who helped effectively seat the current one, the current speaker of the House, is, I mean, indicted, facing all sorts of corruption charges. There has been real no change on ethics. I mean, you you go down the gamut and, and Democrats dominate regardless. there' there they can seemingly kind of do anything. And I, I say that because I think that will get into part of what will transform or happen in Springfield going forward. Yeah. Um the the new Republican leaders, therefore, are really going to be up against it. And I think that's the case no matter who they are. You have in the Senate, John Curran. He is from Western Springs, a former prosecutor who is a private practice attorney now, is generally well regarded, including by Democrats mm-hmm. who see him as somebody that they can generally work with and that they have worked with on legislation such as the organized retail um, crime theft law. So... There is perhaps some hope there, but it gets back to what I said. Democrats dominate, they, they don't need to give in to any of that. Mm-hmm. And then in the House, you have Tony McCombie. She's from Savannah, not Georgia, Savannah, Illinois, which I'm guessing most folks have never heard of. It is really a wee bit of a little town where she previously okay. served as mayor. And you can think of it, it's far northwest Illinois. So really on the corners, a border um, of both Iowa and Wisconsin. And that might come into play because a lot of times when you talk about legislation and things that Illinois does, yeah. there's are seeing as um, sometimes a competitive disadvantage, particularly for border towns. And she is a bit more conservative, but still faced pushback from the farthest right members of her caucus. So Republicans really, I think, are going to have a hard time in a lot of areas, both when it comes to fundraising, trying to have a say given Democrat dominance, and then within infighting, amongst themselves.
0: Well, you you spoke to outgoing House Minority Leader Jim Durkin this week, and he was pretty candid about this election. Let's listen.
2: It's the fringe elements that took over the party and they hijacked mainly the primaries. And we nominated people who generally are not, I mean, at least at the top of the ticket. I'll be very blunt. Darren Bailey was never going to succeed in the suburbs and the collar counties and obviously not in the city of Chicago. And that's where the votes are. you probably got 65 70% of the votes come out of that area. But Darren Bailey is too extreme. But the fact is he won the primary because the party is shrinking. Many people have left the party and they're independent voters, so it leaves far-right conservatives.
0: Quite a bit of criticism for his own party.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that Durkin, when he... Decided to move on, and so the, the Senate race—the top Republican in the Senate—had wanted to keep that job and did not get that opportunity. Durkin stepped down before there was any sort of potential mutiny. Not saying that there would have been, but he stepped away, uh and it was almost like you could see the the relief the weight off, his shoulders. The, the weight yeah. off his shoulders, and ready to vent and share all of these thoughts that had really been pent up and. It, what he said is, in a way, remarkable. I think it also probably speaks to uh, very much uh, some of the suburban voters that Republicans had been trying to recapture and really do just where the numbers are you need if they are going to win but i'm not sure that uh, durkin or any republican has provided a sort of answer to get over that you have to get through a primary and this is where republicans have really been eating their own and um when you have somebody for example some of those statements i think would have caused people in his own caucus to speak out against Durkin for folks to call him a rhino Republican in name only for some of the more conservatives. We're talking about Dick Uline, who's really the big money behind the GOP right now, but he's not behind the GOP. He didn't give any money to help Illinois House Republican candidates. He gave money to Dan Proft, who used it to hurt J.B. Pritzker. So you you don't have it gets back to Republican fundraising and really there's no Um, Inner party agreement of, we need to get along. If you consider yourself a Republican, we welcome you. There are most definitely parts of the Republican Party that say, we don't want you unless you subscribe to these particular beliefs. What are
3: you thinking, Monica? You know, Amanda, when we saw each other at the Illinois State Fair during Republican Day, I saw that brewing, you know, from far away back. I mean, Durkin got up there and he seemed like, OK, we're going to get behind this ticket. And people were asking him, like, why haven't you openly uh, endorsed Bailey? And, you know, why is he being so silent? You could see that he was feeling like the party was going in a direction he wasn't comfortable with already. Yeah. And this was just the culmination of it. Well,
2: Amanda, I just want to ask if, like, as I was watching returns come in for those other moderate Republicans who are on the statewide ticket, do you think Dared Bailey and Dan Proff's efforts hurt all those moderate Republicans that might have had a better chance? In the suburbs.
1: Oh, yeah, I I think no question that when the the Republican Party and again, how much of this goes into also also nationally and what folks want to identify with. And we talk about what motivates folks to go to the polls and Mm -hmm. abortion is certainly a big part of it. And so when the Republican Party is seen as um uh, anti-abortion, anti-choice, then that is going to be a label that very much gets stuck with any candidate or proudly worn by any candidate on that party. And that is something that certainly causes trouble mm-hmm. for them in the suburbs where it's just not a popular belief. Again, I want to make clear because I think sometimes when we have these discussions, it can seem like you don't believe in this and you're attacking this mindset. That That's not what this is. As a panel of journalists, it's just the reality, Absolutely. the political numbers in Illinois and what you need. Just given. facts. It's just yeah. the
0: facts. Well, Durkin argued Republicans need to be more inclusive or they're going to become irrelevant. So do you all think that that was the lesson other Illinois Republicans took from last week's midterms?
3: Well, it's it's hard to say because, you know again, when I went to the Illinois State Fair, what I saw it so starkly was Illinois is two different countries. Um, you have the, the, the country you see in downstate Illinois, and then you have, the, what, 70% of the population appear yeah. in the Chicago metro area. And so how does a party include everyone with such diametrically opposed views? Mm. So. Well, you they, know, I, they elected
0: a woman to be their new leader. Is that maybe a, an attempt to be more inclusive?
1: Um, maybe. I mean, I, I think, again, Representative McCombie uh, is somebody who is generally seen as a conservative. She comes from uh, a more rural part of Illinois, not downstate, upstate technically, but still that sort of similar sentiment. And so, um, But yes, I mean, that is historic. Frankly, Illinois Democrats have never had a woman as one of their top leaders, which is something that I think there is some frustration about between women in the General Assembly, given that they were the ones that were responsible for ousting Madigan. And then, hey, wait a second, where are we in leadership? (laughs) How how did this go? Um, So it is um, certainly, and I think in interviews with Representative McCombie, she recognizes these challenges. And she is sort of a bridge that has been able to generally get along with both factions. But I I think it gets to just, uh, again, difficulties with the Republican identity on a national level, which is just something that Illinois can't combat with. And then this inter-party divide, you know, interestingly, Darren Bailey posted on his social media. Um, I guess it is, I am not somebody who hunts. It is the start of shotgun hunting season and has his deer season. season. It has his grandkids, um, posing very young children with deer that they shot and said, teaching our children where their food comes from, which is something that I think he's truly very proud of and resonates with a large segment of Illinois' voting public. And then that is something that I think would be a huge turnoff and disgust to other voters. That is a challenge that I'm not sure how you overcome electorally. It does demonstrate that to Illinois.
3: Being a deer hunter myself, I have to say all my mentors were people who had... Very different political views than the Chicago metro
0: area. (laughs) (laughs) Well, back to McCombie for a moment. What did she say to you were her top goals, Amanda?
1: She said that her top goal is bringing balance to the legislature. That was her number one. In order to do that again, it's going to be trying to elect more Republicans and it is going to be forging relationships with Democrats. That was similarly uh, the new Republican leader-elect of the Senate talked about bringing more balance into the legislature, something that he believes is good for Illinois. He also spoke about unburdening employers to help to create more jobs. Mm-hmm. And he said that he's had some of those conversations with private labor unions, uh, construction trades and such that that he's worked with and their recognition of some of that. Uh, I I think it will be, however, difficult for them to make those inroads because while we've been focusing on the the challenges, kind of the, the inter-party struggles of the GOP, yeah. Democrats have some of that as well. Not as much, but yeah. the progressive-moderate divide exists. And in order for the current Democratic leaders to stay leaders, they need to appease the progressive base, which does not particularly want to work at all with Republican leadership, trying as they're saying, hey, we, we've had some change, count me in.
2: Right. And it's difficult for Republicans to present voters with a, here's what I I've done when you are at a super duper minority, and also when you have a limited donor base, when you have Governor J.B. Pritzker with billions of dollars able to fund Democrats up and down the ballot across the state. Right.
1: When you can't do anything and right. you don't have any money to share what you have done. <laughs> yeah. And I'm,
2: I'm going to be so intrigued to see what Dick Uline does next. We saw Ken Griffin essentially lose in the primary, pull up state Uline's go to moving to Florida, right?
3: Is he? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> who isn't?
1: Why not? He's virtually Wisconsinite these days, anyway. I think. Well, but, yeah.
0: uh, our friends on YouTube chiming in here, especially in our previous mention of of the Republicans, whether this was an attempt to be more inclusive here with uh, the nomination of uh, McCombie. Shamrock Bloom says nominally, or it could be like John McCain picking Sarah Palin to be his running mate to try to appeal to women voters. Quickly, Donald Trump, now officially a presidential candidate. Any thoughts on how his his candidacy might divide these Republicans in the state?
3: Well, I mean, Illinois—it's sort of written off as well. Seventeen—he lost by seventeen points in Illinois, so I don't think anybody's really seeing us as a a battleground on there. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think I think the 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 Darren Bailey um, loss. Kind of shows that, yes, it'll it it might really help you in the primary, but it's probably not going to help you in the general here.
0: Yeah, well, let's quickly get through some more in the state legislature here. Amanda, lawmakers were in their final session this week. Just tell us what was accomplished in Springfield.
1: Well, so they, they might still come back just to be clear after Thanksgiving okay. there is a second half of veto session, and we could see a lame duck session as well in early January. Okay, when more movement may occur this week. Not much happened other than Republican leadership. Not much occurred. That's not to say there aren't items on the agenda that... Could have been tackled and some would argue should be tackled. They talked about it, uh, mostly behind closed doors, as well as on uh, the final day, there was a press conference and a rally behind some of the most ardent supporters of the Safety Act. And of course, that is this major criminal justice overhaul law that's been getting a lot of attention, both because of the elections and it's uh, being a starring, taking a starring role in campaign ads, but also because the move to cashless bail occurs in January. And there's a lot of consternation over that. So um, what you really had happen was some talks about where things are at. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the, again, behind closed doors, and we don't have any great answers. I think that while there's been talk about change before January and recognition by many leading Democrats, including the governor and attorney general, that changes have to be made because yeah. there are issues with law before it is going to go into effect in January. It's going to be difficult because of those who support it Mm -hmm. not wanting any changes and seeing any sort of change as an attack. So
0: the the Safety Act, Republicans pointed to it as uh, evidence that Democrats were soft on crime. And while crime is making headlines, Monica, I know that you reported this week that violent crime is actually on the decline. So Tell us more about what you found out.
3: Well, that's if you take a long view. I mean, you can say, yeah, you've seen these 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 issues where crime has, has gone up in certain categories, especially, let's say, carjacking recently um, in Chicago. But if you do take the long view, like in 1991 when I was taking the train at 3 o'clock in the morning as a fancy free kid <laughs> and <I didn't laughs> Monica was fun. That's right. <laughs> well, guess what? One crime. in the morning. <laughs> yeah. wow. I'd be at the Belmont. Hey, when's the train coming? Um, that's when crime was more than double. Violent crime was more than double what it is today in Illinois. And I got all these letters like, I don't believe you. That can't be true. I don't make up the the FBI statistics. These are FBI statistics on violent crime. And it has dropped by more than 50 percent in Illinois over the last 30 years. Wow. Yes, you've seen some blips here and there. 2014 was this crazy low, low period. Um, and, and I talked to criminologists about why. They said, you know, you talk to 15 criminologists, they'll give you 15 different answers. <laughs> um, but I talked to Dave Stolval at uh, UIC, who is a, um, he's a criminologist, but also a black studies professor. And he said, yes, it's true that it's dropped, but take a look, do, do a deeper dive. And see that, yes, on the north side, you have seen a lot of improvements. But there was also this containment program where the police are actually maybe keeping uh, people who may be at risk of, of uh, committing crimes in these areas. So Austin, for instance, in a, in a dive that uh, Cranes did with the University of Chicago, has seen a 274 percent rise in, in crimes. So mm-hmm. it's it's not falling everywhere. And then um, Dave Olson at Loyola University, another criminologist, told me, he said – Yes, we've seen this you know, really rather steep drop in crime. But if you take a look in the last few years at, at homicide and suicide with firearms, those have been going up. Mm-hmm. And what else has been going up? The, the purchase and production of firearms for the public. People have been – consumers have been buying more guns. So availability of guns, he thinks, may be linked to the actual – Homicides and suicides.
0: Well, on that bright note, we're (laughs) going to take a pause. Our friends on YouTube loving this lineup. Shamrock Bloom says loving this all-female reporter lineup. Chicago 675 says another rock star panel. So we're going to pick up the weekly news recap in just a moment with WTTW's Amanda Vinicky, the Chicago Tribune's A.D. Quigg, and Monica Ng of Axios. Back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, it's our weekly news recap where we make sense of the week's top local and state stories. Before the break, we took a close look at how Illinois Republicans are dealing with disappointing midterm election losses, but there is much more to get to.
3: City Council voted to pass the 2023 budget. Illinois voters approved an amendment strengthening workers' rights.
1: Baristas at a Starbucks in Edgewater are on strike. Field Museum employees are unionizing.
0: Walmart agrees to pay more than $3 billion in a settlement stemming from lawsuits filed over their pharmacies improperly filling opioid
2: prescriptions.
0: Our panel today is Amanda Vinnicky, political correspondent for WTTW Channel 11, A.D. Quigg, Cook County and Chicago government reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and Monica Ng, Chicago reporter for Axios. A.D., yeah, the Cook County Board approved next
2: year's budget. Highlights. Highlights, it's $8.8 billion, which is quite a big increase from mm-hmm. when Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle first took office. It's 10% higher than last year. Um, not a lot of drama. No no f- big fee increases, no property tax hike, no big cuts. Uh, lots of spending on COVID relief programs, including the county's two-year guaranteed income program, mm-hmm. uh, medical debt, abolition, violence prevention. Uh, approved unanimously, including the two Republicans on the board. Um, the president described the budget as kind of the best of what government could do when democracy felt like it was at risk. She was like, we can do and accomplish big things, and we can have consensus on these things, and we could provide for the people that need it the most. Um, there were a couple fights over some last-minute amendments. One was for the lease of a helicopter for the Cook County Sheriff's Office. Okay, We had a couple of people voting against that because they are generally opposed to any increases on spending for law enforcement generally. So Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson, who is also running for mayor, was one of those no votes. Um, he also voted no to a plan to embed mental health workers in the county's 911 call center because, again, the money was passing through the sheriff's office. Mm-hmm. But this was interesting uh, because it was the last vote for like a lot of long-term Cook County commissioners. We've got three people retiring that have been on the board for more than 20 years, and then another one uh, who was defeated in Democratic primary. And it's kind of like the end of an era. As long as I've been covering Cook County Board, these folks have been around and are kind of like the the pillars. We've got like Legal Eagle, Larry Sufferden, a longtime attorney who would also <laughs> always give like a history lesson on why we don't do things and why we do do things. And here's legal implication. Uh, Deb Sims, who's kind of like the storyteller of the board. She would always have like a Stroger story, a Todd Stroger story, at like the top of a hat. Here's why we do and don't do things. And Pete Silvestri, who has represented the northwest side, the northwest suburbs, uh, very moderate Republican. The president referred to him as the board's lubricant because he did such a good job, like, (laughs) keeping the gears going. Um, And Louis Arroyo also leaving, um, defeated by what will soon be the county's first Democratic Socialist. It was like, easy budget. Let's spend a little bit more time saying goodbye to all these people that we like.
0: Well, let's talk about these property tax bills, because after months of delay... They became available in Cook County this week. So, what was the holdup?
2: The holdup. Uh, it depends on who you ask. So this was this basically came down to <laughs> what a, was the holdup? Yeah, yeah, what this, was the holdup? This hold basically up. came down to tech issues. So, for years and years, most of the county property tax offices have been using a mainframe computer, which is like COBOL. I I could not run it if you paid me. Just the the oldest mainframe. I'm gosh, that was
3: yeah.
0: Out Not of it years old, ago, old yeah. where there's this
3: whole world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm giant like, punch cards. I'm like, why is childhood it's a whole coming wall up? of computers.
2: Um, <laughs> okay. So basically, during the transition, when data was moving from the assessor's office, who is in charge of doing property values, deciding what your property is worth, to the the board of review, which hears appeals, it's like a judicial panel that hears hears appeals. Uh-huh. Um, they had a problem with the transfer, um, and the board of review said. Fritz Kagey, Assessor Fritz Kagey, you, sh- you should have built like a dual track system so we could be getting old crummy mainframe data that works with our system while you're also updating the new stuff. Long story short, uh, they eventually fixed it, but it having those delays screwed over everyone else in the property tax timeline. Mm-hmm. Like you can't create the bills until you know what the final values are. You can't know the final values until it makes it through the Assessor and the Board of review. Um, there's some finger-pointing going on
0: behind Complots. this Lots of finger-pointing. the Cook Point County Pointed Assessor, it. the Board of Review. I want to play a clip. We talked to Fritz Kagey oh. on Reset earlier this week, and here are his thoughts okay. on the Board of Review.
3: The Cook County Board of Review has sort of systematically undervalued commercial properties in the way that Assessor Berrios did uh, before I came into office, and it's resulted in very lopsided changes. They reduced commercial properties, the Board of Review, by about 24 percentage points, but uh, residential by just a little bit more than one percentage point.
0: So the assessor is blaming the Board of Review for homeowners' higher property taxes. Is that right?
2: That's right. So not only do they disagree on how to implement technology, they disagree on the very, very basic tenets of how to assess properties. Like the assessor is using certain qualifications for commercial properties because, as a past Tribune investigation has shown and other independent reports have shown, um, the property tax system here was very unequal. And the commercial property owners were bearing less of the burden than they should have. yeah so Fritz said, I'm gonna change the way I do the math over here okay we're gonna we're gonna value commercial properties in a way that truly reflects their value is closer to their sale price. Um, and the board of review has said we disagree essentially. So often commercial property owners don't like what they hear from Fritz. They take it to the board of review and the board of review says we agree and that means uh, especially on multi-million dollar properties, that uh, their value gets lowered, and when it's multi million dollar properties, that's a huge am- amount of burden shifting
1: back yeah. onto homeowners. And and what a window of time for something like this to be happening when you're looking at, for example, office properties, exactly. which you you could argue have become yeah. less valuable because folks aren't going into the workplace, right. and yet that doesn't do anything to shift historic wrongs or right, right that right, shift. Right. I and- mean, it it, it is. Political by its very nature, as well as more an art than a science. And
2: I did ask the assessor, I said, how much could COVID have accounted for what the Board of Review passed back on to homeowners? Because we saw huge commercial vacancies, lowered rents, lots of expenses to stay open, uh, cleaning protocols during COVID, stuff like that. And he was like, this is way too big to have just been COVID.
0: So uh, lots of folks online agreeing with the timing. Chicago 675 says, wait, they came out right after Election Day. Yeah. One, one exactly
3: one week after
0: hmm. and then Shamrock Bloom says yes, convenient timing, but I know someone in this room. Is feeling this? You took uh, a closer look at your property I'm, taxes, Monica. I'm
3: feeling it big. Um, Ooh, what a did you of find? A couple weeks ago, I was on stage with Fritz Kage at a uh, an Axios event, and I said, "Okay, so you know Joe Berrios was like really sticking it to the residents, but you got this new formula that's going to help us out." He said, "Yeah," and I said, "So am I going to see any rise in my um, property tax?" He said, "Where do you live, Lakeview?" Oh, you're going to see steady to drop. <laughs> So imagine Uh-oh. my surprise <laughs> when I looked at my bill, a seventy-one percent increase. I mean, had, had you
2: appealed at the board
3: or at the assessor's yeah, office? But that, yeah, but that's not that, that hasn't it's not clear yet whether I'm mean going to get that. It was an eighty-two oh. percent increase wow. in the assessed value. Seventy-one somehow everybody in the world wants a crappy two bedroom, one bath, one hundred plus year old building condo in yeah. Lakeview. And, and I I couldn't believe it. So I I talked to stuff people from the assessor's office, like, hmm, that's really interesting. Um yeah, oh, well, maybe it was undervalued before. Well, undervalued for the last decade and suddenly the year that everything yeah. was supposed to get better for residents. I'm seeing this, so it's... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm Monica. <laughs> I think there is
1: going to be so much... Th- th- that's part of this. There's the anger and frustration, and I, I did, because ours went up significantly as well, I don't believe, by 71%, but, I mean, we're, we're talking like triple digits of going up in terms of uh, a higher uh, bill, and what does that mean for folks, especially those who haven't yet gone online to check? Once those come in the mail. Oh, December's I, not going to be pretty for this. No, I, I think it, at holiday time, as we're potentially entering a recession or at least some economic tumult has already begun and could get worse, maybe it, it's going to be very difficult. And I don't think... Am I saying that it was delayed until after the election? No. Am I saying that, sure, that's convenient to to drag it out a little bit so that the entire Democratic ticket wouldn't perhaps Mm -hmm. get punished for it? No, that it's not out of the realm of, All right, let's at least factor that in. Maybe the
3: delay was justified, but I can imagine a lot of people would be super hot under the collar if this came out before. And they're
1: going to continue to be, I think, as as Monica mentioned, where some neighbors, you might have 71%, and then some neighbors see it. It's just it's so difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. So this is not me having studied it or um, making accusations toward any particular public body. But I do think that it gets to a long running frustration with property taxes, how it is calculated, how high they are they are responsible for paying for a lot mm-hmm. including for much of the budget for education not Chicago just in Public Chicago schools but in the 141
3: million dollar increase in what they took and that's what that's what the assessors were like well cps wanted a lot of money mm. and it's true four generations of engs have gone through cps and we've probably tired out a lot of teachers but come on 71 <laughs> it's yeah. a lot it's well, a lot and, and the impact of i don't
2: i don't think this late bill problem based on the way the discussions have been going at the cook county board uh, it does not seem promising like they will be on time again. And that's important for a bunch of reasons. Uh you need to be able to claim it on your federal taxes for the year. You gotta be able to pay your bill before December thirtieth. That was their big goal is like these need to be paid by December thirtieth so people to, could count it on their taxes. But for taxing bodies, um, especially if they're cash strapped or have bad cash flow, if they don't get that revenue from property tax collections, they're screwed in a lot of ways. And the county has done what it could to address it. They did like a short-term loan program. Yeah. But it's just kind of continued stress and hardship and At every level. At the
0: household
1: level and at the government level, which Mm -hmm. goes back to households. Right.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are going behind the headlines in the Weekly News Recap. That's WTTW's Amanda Vinicky. We've got the Chicago Tribune's A.D. Quigg and Monica Eng of Axios, who's a little upset right now. But we're going <laughs> to make her feel better by the end of this recap. A reminder, you can watch us live right now on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. Also, leave us a comment or question. As you've heard, I might just say what you have to say about these stories on air. All right. So some results from last week's midterms were still trickling in. this week, ladies. But we now know that Illinois voters, they did actually say yes to the workers rights amendment. So what does that mean for Illinois, Amanda?
1: I'm not sure that we know yet what it means for Illinois. We know that it means that a new amendment will be added to the Constitution, and in fact, in the Bill of Rights. And this gives protections to labor unions and their members to collectively organize. And it means that Illinois, not that there had been really any danger of this, even during the Rohnert years, try as he might have to move and become a right-to-work state. I think we don't quite know how all that is going to bear out in terms of The power that it will give to unions, um, what it will mean for private sector unions, if anything what that might mean for property tax bills, something that those who advocate for the constitutional amendment say, hey, that that's bumble to say that this is going to lead to a further increase. I, I just think we, we don't know yet, however, any of these answers because it hasn't come under contact negotiations. Yeah. You sure as heck believe that it will be something that I, I could come front and center over everything from uh, COVID protections and safety protocols, uh, as well as when you look at I, something Chicago has seen very public and front and center negotiations between the Chicago Teachers Union and CPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could, could it come into a play and how much? We, we just don't know. This is a first in the nation constitutional amendment and could be a platform that is put on the menu of other Democratic states. Illinois was really the test case and we will continue to be, we might see legal action, I think, as well as this oh, gets yeah. fought out.
0: Well, speaking of workers' rights, Monica, workers at four Chicagoland Starbucks, they actually joined forces in joined a nationwide one day strike what happened
3: well they uh instead of working they handed an on red cup day and everyone knows on like the biggest sale day of the year I know, <laughs> for when you Starbucks get that, you get that holiday red cup that you can yes. refill later they decided to walk out um, in in solidarity with the other unions mm-hmm. to demand better working conditions. They say that they need more staff, that these places get crowded and things get backed up and, and they need to have a seat at the table to start talking about these things. Yeah.
0: Well, workers at the Field Museum, as well as the University of Illinois at Chicago, they were also ramping up efforts to unionize. What happened at those institutions?
3: So at the Field Museum, they, um, they believe they have a majority of uh, the staff that would like like to start a union and they'd like to be recognized without having to go through the whole NLRB process. So they're asking um the leadership at the Field Museum to just recognize them, say We've taken a vote. We'd like to, uh, to organize, we hope. And, and they, they say that they were told that they would be recognized if they took a vote mm-hmm. and that they wouldn't have to go through the federal process. So they're waiting to hear if, um, if management will keep that promise.
0: Yeah. Angela from YouTube says, Starbucks is the closest coffee shop to my apartment, but it feels icky to go there since they started union busting.
3: They claim they're not union busting, but that is a uh, that is a um, interesting thought. point of view. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Something very different. A.D. Walmart agreed this week to pay three billion dollars to settle opioid lawsuits across the country. So here in Chicago, opioid related deaths, they're sadly on pace with last year with 2021. That's when we saw a record number of people die. How might money from this settlement, though, help manage the opioid crisis here?
2: Well, state folks are are hoping it will help with treatment, first of all. And uh, Attorney General Kwame Ruhle, right before the show, came out with a a, kind of a joint press release. He does a lot of these with other states, basically saying, hey, federal government, please allow telehealth appointments for people seeking treatment for opioid addiction. Please let those continue. It's really essential. Mm. Um, That started up during COVID, and it's scheduled to end uh, when the public health emergency ends. But I think state state officials think it's been very effective for helping fight this. And yeah, like you said, we are on track uh, with over, probably on track to have over 1,400 people dying of opioid-related overdoses in the city. Goodness. That is more than homicides and traffic crash fatalities combined. Uh, this is not just happening in Chicago. This is national. This is most of North America. It's, a lot of it is driven by Fentanyl and fentanyl-adjacent drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, Fentanyl-laced pills that yeah. people are not aware yeah, of. That yeah, that aren't even um, necessarily heroin. I was listening to a, Percocet. Uh, yeah, a podcast on the way in here about uh, ADHD medication that some students are buying at parties also laced with fentanyl. Wow, okay. Um, the other thing that city and county officials say is really important is uh fentanyl testing strips that they've been giving out to test what drugs you are using to see if there's fentanyl in it. Mm -hmm. And are
3: available at some libraries. Yeah. Uh,
2: And yes, also uh, equipping public libraries, unfortunately, where some people are overdosing with with Narcan to basically reverse overdoses. So folks being trained in how to use Narcan and having that available at as many public institutions as possible would, would help.
0: Well, before we take a quick break, back over to you, Monica, because there was a, another disturbing display of anti-Semitism this week. Uh, this time it was in North Suburban, Waukegan. What happened?
3: Um, uh, I, again, I was this. Sorry, I don't know this. Was this the, the, uh, uh, the uh, cemeteries? The, it,
0: Vandal desecrated Jewish graves. Yeah. In um, in Waukegan with the, they put swastikas on yeah. them.
3: It's uh, in, in that um, on I mean, top of— we had, I
0: think, three different instances to talk about last week in the recap, folks on a bus. It's almost sad that on I a can't bus. keep up with
3: this. Yeah. Is, yeah. Well, right. I,
2: yeah, I did a lot of reporting this week and last week on the, the news found at the Obama Presidential Center. Right. Um, and I, part of that recap was uh, the governor basically saying, I I denounce this in the strongest possible terms. I just did like a clip search, Pritzker hate crime, and he has had to denounce— Crimes, anti-Semitic crimes, uh, crimes against the Asian American community, um, stuff like this, it's, it's hard to keep up with.
0: Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're back with more of our weekly news recap, giving you a closer look at the week's top stories across Chicago and Illinois. Now, before the break, we took a deep dive into Cook County's budget and property taxes, but we still have more to get to. And we're still joined by local journalists Monica Eng, A.D. Quigg, and Amanda Vinicky. We're still live on Facebook and YouTube for those who prefer to watch. So, yesterday, A.D., Mayor Lightfoot rolled out this ambitious plan for the CTA. What are the details?
2: So this is one of my favorite topics, tiff, <laughs> and this is a super tiff. This is like <laughs> that's sick. Oh, I is love sick. you, but that's sick. Increment financing a, is your favorite topic. I'm a big old nerd. sicko for tiffs. Um, <laughs> so the mayor is facing a December thirty first deadline to get matching federal funds for the CTA Red Line extension from Ninety Fifth uh, South, basically to like the ends of town, um, to Indiana, to Indiana. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, the total cost is expected to be three point six billion, and. To get those matching federal funds, the city needs to put some money on the table. So they are proposing a, a new TIF district to bring in $950 million over 35 years. The, the extension would stretch from 95th to 130th, 5.5 miles. And for the Northsiders, you're familiar with RPM, the red and purple line modernization. And under Mayor Rahm Emanuel, City Council approved a, a mega TIF to help pay for those improvements back in 2016. This one is even bigger But it's interesting because it's not covering that north side. It's not covering the portion where the train will actually be. It's covering a big hunk of the loop. So it would basically cover half a mile on either side of the red line from Madison to Pershing. Um, When you create a TIF, the city basically says, okay, whatever property taxes we're collecting now, we're going to keep collecting. But any growth over the next three decades, we're going to capture that revenue and put it in a little tiggy tiggy bank. (laughs) Tiffy bank. A little TIF piggy bank. For this one purpose, which is building this extension. Um, the problem is the city council for months has been dissatisfied with CTA leadership and its handling of the tail end of the pandemic crime, ghost buses, cleanliness, homelessness. Um, the chief opponent to this TIF deal is Alderman Brendan Riley, who represents the loop where all of our train lines converge. And he said um, this summer we shouldn't be rewarding poor stewardship with a billion dollar investment. Hmm. Um, and more recently, continue to describe the CTA as a dumpster fire. Um, On wheels. On wheels. Mm -hmm. So the mayor is starting this big lobbying push to say, hey, this red line extension is something that we have wanted to do for decades. We can finally deliver. We can get a federal match. And we can finally provide additional transit access to an underserved part of the city. Um, And she has until December 31st to do it. Council next meets on December 14th. In between that, we're going to have a candidate filing for mayoral and aldermanic elections. So Mm -hmm. alderman's minds are kind of elsewhere these next few days. And she's she's got to get this done by the 31st to secure this money. But it's a it's a big old pot of money and people are still ticked off about the CTA.
0: Well, as she tries to get funding on track for the red line extension, money is rolling in from billionaire philanthropist Mackenzie Scott. Chicago school's got an early Christmas present this week. What's up with that, Amanda?
1: CPS did receive money, and they're not alone. Mackenzie Scott has been very generous to Illinois, including including giving money to a leading disability rights advocacy organization mm-hmm. to uh, communities and schools. I believe is the organization which sort of facilitates um, helping boost some of the children that might be most at risk and their families when they're in school. So $25 million CPS is saying, thank you! Oh, you very generous philanthropist who is doling out her billions all over the nation. Uh, That said, is that going to be enough of a dent to make? No. WBEZ I know has done some um, deep dives into the CPS budget and the fiscal cliff that is soon going to loom. Will it be enough to stave off any of those hard decisions? Most certainly not.
0: Yeah. Switching gears, Monica, you know if if you've you're wondering what to do with all those fall leaves right i know that you've got us covered what did you learn
3: well i've learned that actually for for several years now uh, you have to rake them up put them in a bag and call three one one. You cannot leave them in the alley um, and hope that they'll be composted if you don't call three one one. You know, most people still don't know it. I do this story every year.
1: I'm going to say, why, uh, why are we still discussing this? But, or also, you can leave them in your yard. I know we've had right, an environmental on, on reporter. Just yeah. just leave them. It's nature. Leaves will do their thing. Or mow them over. They'll get tiny. Yeah, mulch that, them. That's, that's your best sort of lazy option, but best for the earth. But yeah, you don't it, want them going to a landfill.
3: Right. You don't want them to to a landfill, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I've done investigations, and, you know, it's, Chicago has not been the greatest in picking these up and composting them, which is the law. State law says they cannot take yard waste and put it in a landfill, and yet they do all the time because people don't know that you got to call, you got to put the bag out, and you got to make sure it's next to your garbage can, not in your garbage can. Mm-hmm. And we got we had some great news, actually, from the Departments of Streets and Sanitation this week because they hired two of, you know, two activists, environmental activists who used to be a pain in their butt, especially (laughs) Carter (laughs) O'Brien, who used to say, hey, do better, do better. They hired him as an assistant commissioner. Um, He's overseeing uh, a a, a new compost pilot. We're in six neighborhoods. You can bring your scraps there, and they will compost them and see how it works. And also Susan Casey who has been working with Seven Generations Ahead on getting food in CPS to be composted in in other schools. So I I feel very, very... um, Encouraged. It's warming your heart yeah. in this cold wow. day. Wow, you Can brought ask, these
2: people in from the outside. What's, uh, is the only problem with putting
3: yard clippings in a landfill just so that it takes up more space? So it creates methane, which is a much more powerful greenhouse gas than CO2, which... You know, contributes to to global warming. So it's the same reason you want to compost your food scraps. You mm-hmm. don't want to put them in the landfill where they're going to contribute to global warming. Instead, you make this beautiful amendment for soil called compost that you can put back in your gardening in spring.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with WTTW's Amanda Vinicky, the Chicago Tribune's Ad Quig, and Monica Ng of Axios. I want to run through some more social commentary that we're getting here chicago 675 says i can't believe we're still talking about a cta red line extension this should have been done 10 to 15 years ago
2: it's
0: yeah been,
1: it's been a long time coming yeah yeah uh, let's especially see. when you can get federal money i mean i understand the frustrations with the cta but if you're going to board that train now is mm-hmm. the time because money is available and if you don't get it other projects will eat that up. Yeah.
0: Right. Going back to our property tax discussion, Peter Kim is talking to you, Monica. <laughs> Peter says, Monica's property tax increase isn't unusual. I'm a small business owner, and ever since Kagi became assessor, my property taxes have doubled. My income certainly hasn't doubled. <laughs> Sounds okay, like you.
2: I feel like I have some company now. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if he's talking about his, Misery loves home, company. <laughs> his home assessment or the assessment of a small business. Because the commercial well, residential yes. gap, I'm interested yeah. Peter, let us know.
0: Yeah, well, Peter continues to say, I've had to delay maintenance and repairs because of the tax increases, not just small stuff.
3: Wow. So mm. it's,
0: it's Sorry, really Peter. affecting him. And back to our union conversation, Chicago 675 says unions at Starbucks will drive up your coffee more. Not saying it's not necessary, but people say they support unions until they see the price increases.
3: I'm not sure if it would if it would necessarily translate to higher price increases. I mean, just just like what they're saying with this amendment to the constitution, that it's definitely going to drive up your property taxes. It's not always a, a one plus one equals two.
0: Mm. Well, as we were talking a moment ago about cleaning up those fall leaves, and the temperatures are dropping, you might notice that it's beginning to look a lot like the holidays, ladies. I see a big smile on Amanda's face because <laughs> downtown is getting
3: its holiday transformation today. What's happening? Get me some glug. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Chris Kindle Market is opening up in Daly Plaza, but also in Wrigleyville, uh, right next to uh, Wrigley Field. Uh, so if you can't uh, make it downtown, you can get your glug. tree lighting mm-hmm. tonight. Brats, yes, Millennium Mold Park.
1: Yeah. Ooh, I love the raclette. You know, the if you had one of they those yet, yeah. Sasha. The you have that big wheel. It Whoever is, designed that wheel hot. to lean the cheese
2: so you could scrape the it cheese off. It is the most off. beautiful Wait, 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 slow thing. down. What is it? The raclette? Oh, my it's God, Sasha. It's literally
1: like a machine <laughs> sort of contraption, and they put bread with— it's, it's, and you you have cheese that just gets the wheel melty of cheese and gooey, is gooey and bubbly. Big, okay?
2: And it's like a semicircle. Yes. And they have a heater on top of where it's cut. Oh. And the cheese is heated and they go like this so that they just... Oh angle the cheese, oh, and, it and then nice. they scrape it off and onto a beautiful Very piece light-y. of toast. Oh. And then you could have some gloves oh, and so then you could buy some Divine. overpriced ornaments. Oh, my gosh. Divine. Yeah.
0: Well, before we go, ladies, I'm wondering what stories this week maybe really stuck out to you. Could be something that surprised you, maybe something you thought was underreported. Anyone have thoughts?
2: I want to ask, uh, as someone who hasn't covered state government, I want to ask Amanda what she thought about Pat Quinn not getting into the mayoral race.
1: I I, um, am, I suppose, not surprised. He's sort of given an indication that he would step away if Chewy Garcia got in the race. So that to me was sort of The big tell. Was it an interesting move, however, to call a press conference and sort of tease, hey, I got a big announcement coming, when typically (laughs) saying that you're not going to run does not count as the biggest announcement ever unless you are the actual incumbent. That would have been warranted. So I think it caused some eye rolls, but um, perhaps he is happy and it got more attention for his referenda efforts. It was, to me, very classic Pat Quinn, even down to the same tie, the purple and navy striped one that he has worn for many, many, many occasions (laughs) of his political career going back decades.
0: Well, what are you keeping an eye on moving forward, Monica?
3: Well, you know, you can say it wasn't a big story, but that was a sometimes front page story about uh, the mayor's uh, detailed parking in a bike zone so uh, so she could go into a bakery. I, I think yeah, I was arguing with Justin Kaufman, my co-writer today, about how big a story that was. I just think I think bike safety is really important. Anybody who's known anybody who's unfortunately been taken through um, a bike accident in Chicago knows that it's important to keep those lanes um free. And so yeah. I, I hope that, that if anything, that story, which was overblown in many ways, will get people to understand, don't park in a bike lane. It could really mean someone's life. Yeah. Quick final thought to you, Amanda.
1: You know, I'll, I'll add on to that. I do think there's a lot of confusion as well. And I, it's been a while. knock on wood. If you're listening, Secretary of State-elect Janulius, uh, don't give me a driver's test. But <laughs> that th- there's a lot of confusion surrounding bike lanes as well. There's anger often on the part of the bike community when rules aren't followed. And then I think even folks who want to, which you you can argue that the mayor and her team Mm -hmm. doesn't know the laws, security (laughs) better know. Did you know that you have to be six feet away from a bike when you pass it? I mean, right? It's really, I I I think there's a lot of education that is lacking as we are in sort of a new world of transit.
0: Well, we'll leave it there. WTTW's Amanda Vinicky, the Chicago Tribune's A.D. Quig and Monica Ng of Axios. Thank you so much for joining us and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.